I will trust Brexit focus with Paul Goslin and Jared Dean. Welcome to episode 17 of Hollywell Trust Brexit Focus Podcast. My name is Jared Dean, joined as always by Paul Gosling. Paul, how's the form? Morning. Okay, so this episode has been recorded on Wednesday the 24th of April. Are there any major changes in the Brexit story between now and our release? Um, and we haven't got it covered, we apologise. But as always, the landscape, the landscape here is ever-shifting. And what we must also mention is the fact that we are actually recording this podcast and around the time of Le- uh, Lyra McKee's funeral, uh, the young journalist who was tragically killed in Craigan uh, last week in Derry. Um, Paul, a shocking loss of life. Absolutely. And uh, it's really hit the city, not just uh, the community of Craigan, um, but the whole city. And especially, obviously, uh, for people like myself who are, who are journalists, it's mm. a really terrible, tragic event. Okay, and the thoughts of everyone associated with Hollywell Trust uh, go out to Lyra and her family. Um, but we have to go on and we have to have the further conversations, the the essential conversations. Paul, there was talk at one stage as well of Brexit having a role in the rise of the people that carried out this atrocity. That's right. Uh, the new IRA has said that it carried out uh, the, uh, the, the killing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it said it intended to kill a police officer and uh, it unintentionally killed her, but clearly they had murder intentions. Um, the political organisation Sora has also issued a statement, and what we know about the organisations is that they have said that uh, they are motivated by a desire for United Ireland, and that they are inspired if you like by the mood around brexit mm. now uh, the the respected security correspondent uh, of the irish news alison morrison alison morris has said that she doesn't believe that brexit is a factor in terms of the the if you like the rise of the new ira because remember also they put the the bomb in the van outside the courthouse mm-hmm. in uh, bishop street in derry uh, she has said that it's not that Brexit has, uh, you know, led them to do things that they wouldn't have otherwise intended to do. But what has happened is that the PSNI has been deflected in its ability to deal with security threats by its focus on preparing for Brexit. Mm. So however you look at it, whether uh, it is inspiring the new IRA uh, and groups related to them, or whether it's undermining the PSNI's ability to get on top of it, Brexit is a factor. And of course, it's worth remembering that people associated with the new IRA and people associated with the SORA did were keen for Brexit to happen because they saw that as an opportunity for them to make the case for United Ireland. So there is a relationship, but not a very clear relationship. Okay. Okay, but Brexit's also having an impact on someone else that we're going to hear from later on the podcast. We're going to hear from Emma D'Souza, who's going to give us an update on her case and her campaign. But to get back to the Brexit issue directly, uh, Paul, Nicola Sturgeon has come out um, with a comment today, just. That's right. I mean, she's saying that uh, the uh, the Scottish nationalists are, in, are looking to have a new vote on independence for Scotland. And she's saying that Brexit does change the relationship between the devolved nations and the UK government. Mm. And her thinking is that potentially 
it reduces the, the strength of the devolved nations and increases the central control of the UK government. This is assuming that Brexit happens yeah. and assuming it happens in the way that the current government wants it to. But she is seeing that it does fundamentally change the relationship of the London government with Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. So this is an important thing for us to take recognition of. Yeah, okay. So I, I think since the last podcast we've known you, uh, I think it's fair to say we thought we'd be done. <laughs> we thought our podcast would be over at this point. Yeah, that's right. We, we had expected this to be a shorter run than <laughs> it is actually proving to be. Hey, but we possibly might go to Halloween and maybe beyond. God knows what's going to happen. Yeah, because the truth is, of course, that things have gone on much longer than Theresa May expected or the mm-hmm. European Union expected. And really, it's caught everyone by surprise because of the lack of strategy by the British government. Right, okay. But speaking of strategy, there, there has been talk over the last few days of uh, withdrawal legislation being brought before uh, Parliament within the next 10 days or so. Yeah, and, and these things are almost changing by the hour, Gerard. Mm. I mean, you know, the, as we speak... The suggestion is that the government, rather than put through a withdrawal agreement vote number four in the hope that people will change their votes within the House of Commons, then instead of that, they'll actually put the legislation through in the hope that that persuades people to vote for it. Mm. The problem is, if there aren't the votes there for the withdrawal agreement number four, would there be the votes there for the withdrawal bill to become enacted? If it did happen... We might not have European elections in May and we might not be going through to Halloween. So just to reinforce this point, the European Union has said to the UK government that we can extend the leaving process until Halloween unless very soon there is a legislation that goes through the House of Commons. And what Theresa May is now doing, her government is doing, is putting forward the legislation that would enable things to happen quicker than Halloween and would avoid the need, possibly avoid the need, for European elections in May. Mm-hmm. But as things stand at this moment, and they might be different five minutes after we're talking, <laughs> then it looks unlikely that she will get that through because the numbers are still not there in okay. the House of Commons. And part, I assume, that this bill is going to be based on negotiations that the Conservative government are currently having with the opposition with Labour. No, I don't think it would necessarily. I mean, well, of course, it's important to recognise that the fundamental difficulty isn't within the withdrawal agreement itself, though that is a problem. But the bigger problems are about the political declaration that comes alongside the withdrawal agreement. So the big dispute is over our future relationship with the European Union and also what the withdrawal agreement implies about that future relationship. And that comes down to where we are in terms of the negotiations taking place between the government and the Labour opposition. I do not have any sense of optimism that actually they will lead to a negotiated agreement. And the reason for that is that the bottom line, the minimum demand from the Labour Party is that the government agrees to a a continuing customs union with the European Union and also regulatory alignment, which enabled the UK to continue to have a close relationship through the single market. Hmm. Now, those appear to be unacceptable demands from the point of view of the government, certainly unacceptable to the European research group. So even if somehow you did get an agreement where Theresa May agreed to things that she had consistently refused to agree to, 
it's still difficult to see how you then get the follow-up votes that would you know be coming along behind in the House of Commons. So mm. it would just create a government that was completely powerless. But actually, probably you could say that that's where we are anyway. Okay. So we're starting to see divisions in the Conservative Party, but we're also seeing division within the Labour Party. Well, that's Party. the other thing. Yeah, that's the other reason why it's difficult to see that those negotiations could be successful, because actually the Labour Party has avoided the same level of uh, scrutiny in terms of its internal divisions that the Conservative government has had. Mm. But if they actually then signed up to a compromise negotiated outcome then you'd still have all these other problems within the Labour Party about whether there's going to be a second referendum yeah. and what the relationship is in terms of the customs union because the Labour Party is not uh, uh, you know, united on this either. Mm-hmm. Okay, so are we expecting to see the resignation of Theresa May at any stage in the future? Well, as we, as we sit here, and this is about to change as well, the, uh, the Conservative Party in the House of Commons, which is called the 1922 Committee, mm-hmm. are having a discussion about changing the rules which would allow them to remove Theresa May in June rather than waiting until the end of the year. So it is quite possible. And also that plays into these negotiations with the Labour Party because as far as Jeremy Corbyn's concerned, if he does a deal with Theresa May, what happens if she is now replaced by Boris Johnson or Michael Gove or Dominic Raab, mm. uh, who are the most likely replacements of her, or Jeremy Hunt possibly, uh, you know, would these people accept the negotiated agreement between the uh, Theresa May government and Jeremy Corbyn? So from their point of view, do they know who they are negotiating with? Uh, so it leads to further, further, further uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. And Nigel Farage has launched his Brexit party, uh, leading in the opinion polls. Mm. What impact do you do you think this might have? The most recent opinion polls shows twenty seven percent support for the Brexit party, compared with twenty two percent for con- uh, for the Labour Party, and about fifteen percent or less for the Conservatives. Mm. So yeah, he's 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 on a roll. He's going quickly. He's got some uh, well known people um, standing as candidates. Uh, he appears to have very quickly eclipsed. UKIP, his former party. Mm. So, yeah, um, he looks as if he will get, um, as things stand, a very good vote in the European elections. Possibly the majority of the European MEPs will be uh, Nigel Farage Brexit candidates. Um, And that will not go down at all well within the European Union, which Mm. is expecting, as things stand, that possibly the third largest grouping within the European Parliament will consist of people that are representatives of parties that are against the European Union and want to lead the European Union. So there's a a big, big tension within Europe over this stuff. Yeah, okay. I suppose a question has to be, as a fair to say that even the fact that we've had this extension agreed until possibly Halloween, are we looking even, is it even more likely that there's going to be a hard Brexit? Well, the, the working assumption now within Europe is despite the fact that the House of Commons has voted to say there will not be, there must not be a hard Brexit, mm. the expectation now is there will not be a deal. I mean, that is the working assumption within the European capitals, despite the agreement to go to Halloween. Because the, the problem is, still, it's difficult to see how you can get a majority for anything in the House of Commons. So with that situation remaining and without the government having an obvious strategy to deal with this, the belief in the European Parliament uh, and the European capitals is that you know we must assume that the UK leaves without a deal. 
And I think the negotiations now are around the idea of how do you have a soft Brexit without a deal? Okay. So, you know, so we, as if the withdrawal agreement doesn't happen, but you have lots of little deals just to try and cushion the impact a bit. But, you know, it is nevertheless going to have problems. And, and the other thing which I think is really important to say, Gerard, I mean, there has been some discussion within Europe about the idea of there being a second referendum. Mm -hmm. But a lot of European governments are now thinking, would we actually want the UK to stay in? Because even if you had a narrow majority for uh, remain yeah. in a second referendum, you'd still have all sorts of differences. You'd have this large group of really difficult people within the European Parliament representing the UK. Is it worth it from the European point of view? Wouldn't mm. they be better off getting on and dealing with other things like the, the stresses within the Eurozone, the stresses in terms of migration policy? Um, you know, why, why do they want, would they want to be really distracted for years ahead with the internal political divisions of the UK? Probably not. Okay. Um, so one of the things that we've talked about in the past uh, as part of our podcast has been the, the EHIC or the E111 form, as it used to be known. Um, there seems to have been some progress there, at least from the, the Irish government side. Yeah, Simon Coveney, the uh, Tunnister, has, uh, has said on behalf of the Irish government that it will meet the obligations for people in Northern Ireland, the Irish citizens in particular. Um, and that includes the uh, underwriting of the cost of the European health insurance card. Okay. So let's keep a close watch on that. I mean, the signs are very positive from Dublin, but I'm not sure what the costs are. And I'm not sure whether the Irish government's looking to share the costs across Europe. But no. I mean, clearly there is a willingness uh, by the European Union to protect at the very least Irish citizens in Northern Ireland. And also there's a lot of support for, for non-Irish citizens and the treatment of all people in Northern Ireland on the basis of equality. Okay. After all, Northern Ireland didn't vote to leave. <laughs> that's true, that's true. So speaking of Northern Ireland and voting, have we any idea who, if there is to be uh, an EU election, um, have we any idea who the local candidates might be? And is this, is this going to further the, the, the Brexit debate? Or what's your opinion? Well, clearly it will increase the discussion around uh, Brexit. Uh, several candidates have been declared. Um, I haven't seen a full list. I'm not sure if there is a full list as yet, no, but so. Diane Dodds will be standing for the DUP. She is already the MEP uh, for the DUP. Martina Anderson from Sinn Féin will be standing again. Um, the UUP, uh, John Nicholson will not be standing again, and Danny Kennedy, a well-known former MLA, uh, is going to be standing for the UUP. Colm Eastwood, the leader of the SDLP, is standing. Naomi Long, the leader of the Alliance Party is standing, and also someone who we've interviewed in the past, Jane Morris, former uh, head of the European Commission in Northern Ireland. She is standing as an independent pro-EU candidate. So there will be a range of candidates. No doubt others will be declaring in the next few days, and I believe, having seen UKIP posters up, that UKIP will be standing, and I presume the Brexit Party will be standing as well. So it'll be an interesting election mm. campaign, assuming that we are going for Election. Aye, aye. I assume it would be interesting to see the turnout for it as well. Uh, and on a more practical level, we're starting to see the impact of Brexit on people's pockets, particularly around insurance and things like that. That's right, yes. Uh, I mean, we already know, of course, that the devaluation of sterling has increased costs uh, for people 
who are working in Northern Ireland and living the other side of the border. But the other thing is that there's a lot of other cross-border transactions, including insurance. And uh, I've learned today that uh, people who have relied on insurance policies from UK insurers for properties in the Eurozone are potentially facing significant increases in their premiums. So the one that I was given an example of today is that a house insurance policy that was previously uh, costing 600 euro a year is now being costed at 750 euro a year. And I think we can expect that car insurance policies will similarly be affected. So I, my advice would be to people to shop around mm. because a number of insurers that are UK-based that were offering policies in the Eurozone, including in the Republic of Ireland, are ceasing to be involved or changing their terms of trade okay. across the border. So, you know, yeah, higher costs. Okay, not good. Um, okay, so we're going to hear yeah, the chance to catch up uh, with Emma D'Souza. Can you give me an update? Because we covered you a couple of months ago on the podcast, but it would be good to do an update. Um, well, I wish I had update on the legal position of our own court case, but unfortunately, five months after the Home Office requested an adjournment and postponed the case, we're still waiting on a court date. So we have no idea when that's going to come in. Um, we're hoping it will come in sooner rather than later because it is quite an anxious time for us having that cloud of an impending court case hanging over us. So our own case doesn't have much of an update um, on, on that level. But the campaign um, has actually been building a lot of momentum and getting a lot of traction recently. Um, the we, we Are Irish 2 campaign um, has been picking up momentum. We have a lot of things that have contributed to that. There has been the revelation that NI-born Irish citizens will not be able to apply under the EU settlement scheme. That is going to create two tiers of Irish citizens, those that can retain their EU rights and benefits in the United Kingdom and those that cannot. So I think that pushed the We Are Irish 2 campaign up a level. Um, then we also have the pledge by Theresa May back in February where she said she would urgently review the issue around Irish citizens in Northern Ireland. We now know that review has no terms of reference, no time frame, and is an informal review. So in essence, not much of a review at all. And as far as you know, that's not begun yet. We have no indication um, that there is even a proper uh, review taking place. Um, the Home Office will not release any information about Presumably you've got a lawyer that you've engaged, and has that lawyer been contacted at all by the government? Not at all. Uh, we do, in, in fact, have quite a great legal team. We have our solicitor, a barrister, and a Queen's Counsel on our team, none of which have been contacted by the government. And in terms of the campaign, where are you there? You've had the uh, demonstration or the rally both in Belfast and also in London. Yes, and those demonstrations uh, were quite powerful um, in the sense that a number of people came out to take a stand, a stand for the Good Friday Agreement, a stand for the peace process, a stand for the full realisation of their rights under the agreement. Um, we were quite fortunate in Belfast to have a number of key speakers. We had Professor Colin Harvey, we had the Lord Mayor Deirdre Haggerty, and we also had yourself, Paul. And in um, London you had, I think, support from Derry Girls. We certainly did, yes. Uh, Sister Michael herself um, came out in support over in London, which was really quite encouraging and I think gives us hope um, that there is definitely uh, room for this campaign to go up a level and hopefully um, we will then get a response from Westminster because here's the big thing here, you know, there's a lot of media interest, we've got human rights groups, we've got 
legal community, we've got academics, we've got people across the spectrum, we've got the Irish government coming out and saying this needs to be sorted. But Westminster is silent. There is no response coming from Westminster. They are not acknowledging that the We Are Irish Two campaign even exists. But you have, as you say, had media interest, and I think there was a, a feature in The Guardian on this. Uh, yes, we have had um, widespread uh, media interest, really, at all levels, even um, as far as the EU um, on this issue. And when you say with the EU, what do you mean by that? Um, well, in terms of your own news, it's covering it as well. But I have also engaged at an EU level. I met myself with Task Force 50 and a number of MEPs on these issues. And I have to say, uh, the EU at that level really does have a very clear understanding of the Good Friday Agreement and the kind of threat that Brexit is to the Good Friday Agreement. Um, however, that is not being translated to Westminster. But Simon Coveney um, has indicated that the Irish government is moving towards a stronger position of recognising the rights of Irish citizens who were born in Northern Ireland. Yes, and I um, have been working with Coveney's office for quite a while. The Department of Foreign Affairs has been engaging with me personally for the last year or so. And there's a lot of support and encouragement and assurance that's coming from the Irish government. And I do know that they are engaging with the Home Office and the Home Secretary on these issues. However, is that really enough is the question right now, because they're saying that our rights are going to be protected in any Brexit scenario. But already, I am an Irish EU national who can't access their EU rights and benefits in the here and now. So we're already seeing people having obstacles to the access of their rights. And the Irish government has said clearly that they believe the Good Friday Agreement is explicit, that that right to be Irish or British or both is clear. However, they can't change the mind of the British government. They are entitled to their own view. And as we can see, their view is very different. There is no dispute mechanism that exists within the Good Friday Agreement. So if one party is reneging on their commitments, the only thing the other party can do is say, hey, could you uh, hold up your end of the garden? And that's what the Irish government's doing. And just to clarify before we finish, Emma, uh, why is this uh, an issue f uh, that's brought to the fore by Brexit? I think what Brexit is doing is sharpening um, uh, people's minds. And uh, up until now, over the last 21 years, um, we've had the blanket of EU law protecting us in Northern Ireland and covering up a lot of gaps in legislation. But now that we're going to you know, lose that blanket of security, we're seeing that there is a lot of gaps in legislation in the UK that are going to leave the people of Northern Ireland very vulnerable and exposed to all kinds of different um, issues. So I think that that's why it is now becoming much more um, of an issue and something that needs to be resolved quite quickly. But also, I believe that under EU legislation, you have rights that you would have been entitled to had the UK continued to be in the EU, but which we potentially lose as a result of leaving the EU. Yes, I mean, the rights to family reunification, European health card. I mean, there's all these issues around access to our EU rights that, of course, we will be continuing um, to have, um, uh, even with the restrictions that we have in a post-Brexit scenario. But I think what's happening is we're just at a point where everyone in Northern Ireland is going to lose um, some form of their EU rights as a result of Brexit. You can stay up to date with us on our social media pages on Facebook, look for the Hollywell Trust, and on Twitter, it's at Hollywell T. 
Okay, interesting to hear back from Emma, and thanks to her for taking the time. Really interesting there that the level of support that she's getting for this campaign. Yeah, a lot of support. Mm, very good. So, Paul, we in Hollywell Trust, and we as in me and you together, have also started a, a new podcast to talk about a range of things, the new Forward Together podcast. Uh, a series of podcasts uh, launched on Good Friday, um, in which leading figures from Northern Ireland and the Republic consider how we can move ahead. You've described it, Paul, as a process where we uh, we have asked sensible people some sensible questions. What are the sensible questions we've started to ask? Well, broadly, there are around four points, which is how do we strengthen civic society? How do we create a genuine shared and integrated society? How do we deal with the legacy issues? Mm-hmm. And how do we have the constitutional conversation in ways that are positive and avoid upsetting people. Okay, and we, we've talked to a range of people. Give us an idea of some of the people. If, if the first was Bishop Ken Good. That's right, and of course he is a representative of the diocese that's uh, cross-border, Marion mm-hmm. Uh The second was Mike Nesbitt, the former leader of the Unionist Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next is Avila Kilmari, who is a well-known person in terms of the voluntary community sector, but was also one of the founders of the Women's Coalition. And we've got a range of other really interesting people coming up from the community sector and from politics. Yeah, and and we see this very much as a the start of a conversation, a conversation which is positively focused um, and focused on us, I suppose, taking, increasing that civic voice, and I think that'd be fair to say. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the first interview was with Ken Good, who was saying we should listen less to politicians and listen more to civic society. Mm. And actually, it was a plea to the media to report things in a with a different tone, where the focus is more on bringing people together rather than splitting them apart. And Mike Nesbitt was making the point that we should perhaps aspire to not simply have strong civic nationalist and strong civic unionist uh, gatherings, but also to bring those two parts of society together so that we have a, a broader civic conversation. And in a sense, that's what we want to achieve as well. Okay. So for updates on that, and on this Brexit Focus podcast, keep an eye out on the Hollywell Trust website, hollywelltrust.com. And so thanks to everybody that's been involved this month. Thank you, Paul. And we'll be in touch again soon. The Hollywell podcast Brexit Focus, funded by the Community Foundation of Northern Ireland's Brexit Dialogue Fund. Download this program and stream it for free on soundcloud.com. Apple Podcasts and Stitcher.com. Subscribe, listen, share and enjoy.